Hey, good morning, and uh, good to see you. Welcome to River Glen. And today we're wrapping up this series called Big Mouse. We're talking about a section of the Bible that rarely gets taught or studied, and it's been kind of fun for me to uh, study this uh, section of the Bible. It's called the Minor Prophets. I don't really like that name because it makes these guys sound like they're lightweights, and they're not. I mean, they've got some really important, bold, and uh, courageous things to say that can help us and uh, uh, impact our lives. First weekend we talked about Hosea, and uh, Hosea taught us that God's really not looking for religious practices. He's looking for a, a personal relationship uh, with us. And then second weekend we talked about Amos. Amos teaches us that our relationship with God is, is actually is connected to how we treat the poor and the needy. And then last weekend we talked about Habakkuk, and uh, he taught us that we can find joy and strength in God regardless of our circumstances. And now today we come to the fourth and uh, final prophet that we're going to take a look at. Before we do that, I want to tell you about next weekend. We're going to begin this new series. And uh, we are going to talk about things each weekend that relate to uh, all of our lives. But we're going to leave you guessing about what those things are. And we are going to talk about whatever we want uh, the next several weeks. It's going to be fun, a uh, little unpredictable. Uh, and uh, I think it's going to be helpful. So uh, don't miss it. And then uh, second, I want to begin... Uh, by showing you this video of a comedian. Now, he's not a church comedian. He's not a, a Christian comedian. And may, maybe some of you have seen it. But I think this really uh, paves the way for what we're going to talk about uh, today. So take a look. I was sitting in my house a couple weeks ago, just relaxing. My doorbell rang. This is weird. It's a different feeling when your doorbell rings today opposed to 20 years ago, right? 20 years ago, your doorbell rang. That was a happy moment in your house. It's called company. You'd be sitting there on a Thursday night watching TV. Your doorbell rang. The whole family shot off the couch. Oh, my God! Put the lights on. Somebody's here. We got people. I, the whole family went to the door. The kids were in socks. They slid up to the door. <laughs> Nobody looked to see who it was. Right? You just opened up the door. You were like, oh, my God, look at that. <laughs> look at who's here. And the person would be like, I was in the neighborhood. I thought I might stop by, see how the kids are doing. They're like, oh, come on in. We're going to have some cake. Your mother had a little Entenmann's. Maybe some Sara Lee crumble cake. Just in case company came over. She made an announcement when she bought it. She's like, listen, nobody touched this cake. This is for company only. Those crap muffins, those are for you people. You better hope to God somebody comes over so we can cut the cake. She put her cake in the middle of the table, proud of it. And she put it right in the middle. Cut yourself a slice. My cup of coffee. We're gonna do coffee. Want some Sanka? Yeah, that's old school. A lot of the young kids are looking at me like, what is that, an iPhone app? <laughs> Your mother had a tin, brown and orange tin of Sanka. 
ready to go just in case the company. She put a big pot on the table. Go ahead. Nobody had a cell phone back then. If your so, if your if your if your house phone did ring, your father stood up and said, "Nobody get that phone. We got company." <laughs> and you lost track of time. Two hours went by. You were like, "We got to get out of here." That's okay. Next time we're gonna come by, you'll be like, "Yeah, my door's always open." <laughs> now your doorbell rings. <laughs> Like your own mother's crawling across the kitchen floor. Get down my army crawl. Army crawl, get in the closet. Go get the sword in the living room. Somebody get the sword underneath the couch in the living room. There's a sword. Yeah, I've watched that clip several times. It just fascinates me because that's the home I grew up in. Anybody else grew up in a home like that, you know, that had company? Yeah. My mom was always making cakes. She would always have a cake ready for company. She would make carrot cake or German chocolate or a coffee cake, and those things were just awesome. But, you know, in our house, when a company came over, uh, a lot of times they didn't ring the doorbell. What they would do in our house, in our neighborhood, they'd just come in the driveway, they'd honk the horn. And, and that was the signal, company's here. Or maybe they'd come in the summertime, and our house had this porch in the front yard, kind of like this one here. You don't see porches very much anymore. We had a porch swing. And in the summertime, we'd be out on the porch, and company would come over. They'd drive up the driveway, come on, sit on the porch, and eat cake and talk. We'd have neighbors that would come over and sit on our porch and talk with us. But times have changed, haven't they? You know, today we tend to be much more private in the way that we live our lives. We just kind of keep uh, to ourselves. We keep our distance. I saw some pictures here of actual signs people put on their front door like this one here. Doorbell's broken like your face if you ring it. Yeah. This is not a doorbell. It's a button that opens a trap door uh, beneath you. No soliciting. We're too broke to buy anything. We know who we're voting for. We have found Jesus. Seriously, unless you're selling Thin Mints, please go away. Yeah. You know, you get the idea. People want privacy. People want to keep their distance. We want to just kind of keep to ourselves. Our homes are kind of like a cocoon. But here's the problem. God wants to, to bless other people through us. God wants to help people through us. God wants to love other people through us. God wants to serve other people. That's, God, that's God's mission in this world. And if we follow him, that's our mission too. But if we keep to ourselves, if we keep our distance, we can actually interfere with God's mission to bless the world. And you know what? That's what happens in our story uh, today. It's about a prophet by the name of Jonah. Now, even if you're you know, new to church, maybe you haven't, or maybe you haven't been attending church for very long, you probably, at some point in your life, you have heard about this guy from the Bible uh, by the name of Jonah. Jonah's known for his encounter with an animal, okay? When we think about Jonah, we think about the story of Jonah and the, yeah, the whale, right. And, uh, but, uh, but today, I want to tell you a story about Jonah and a different animal, a much different animal that he interacts with according uh, to the Bible. Now, I don't know how big that whale or fish was that swallowed up Jonah, but, you know, it had to be really big to swallow Jonah uh, whole. Uh, but the animal I'm talking about today, I'm saying, is about 2,000 times smaller and about 2 million times uh, lighter. 
And this, this animal didn't swallow Jonah or anybody else, but God used it to play an important part. Today I want to tell you the story about Jonah and the worm. Yeah, that's why we handed out uh, gummy worms. Did you get your gummy worm at the, at the door? Yeah, you know, you, feel free to eat your gummy worm. You know, I'm going to eat mine after this uh, uh, service. But uh, uh, many of you, I'm guessing, probably have never heard the story of Jonah and the worm. It's found in, in the last chapter of Jonah's book, Jonah chapter 4. But before we go there, let me give you some important backstory about Jonah before he meets the worm. Jonah is a prophet of the Israelite nation. And God sends him to the city of Nineveh, located in Assyria. Now, Nineveh is this large city with thousands of of people. And they're all very far from God. And so God sends Jonah to tell them to turn from their evil ways. But Jonah didn't want to do that. He wanted to keep his distance. And that's how Jonah ended up in the belly of the whale or fish or whatever it was. Because God said, go. And Jonah said, no. So Jonah gets on a boat. And he actually heads the opposite direction of Nineveh, and through a series of dramatic events, Jonah gets thrown overboard by the crew of the ship, and the moment he hits the water, this fish, this whale, swallows him up. So Jonah spends a few days in the belly of this fish until the fish spits him up on the shore, all slimy and gray and smelly, you know, kind of like a bait shop in the middle of, of July. I mean, he must have been disgusting. And so Jonah showers off, And he changes his mind and decides to do what God uh, wants. And so Jonah goes to Nineveh and he starts preaching repentance. He tells them that God's had enough of their evil ways and their city is headed for destruction. And there was good news. The Ninevites respond by repenting of their wicked ways. And the whole city, from the king all the way down, they all cry out to God for mercy. And, And God relents and shows mercy on the Ninevites. And so it's a cool story. Jonah preached. The people repented and God relented. It was a huge win. Mission accomplished. End of story, right? Wrong. (laughs) That's not how Jonah's Jonah's story uh, ends. Look look at how Jonah's story continues. This is the first verse of Jonah chapter 4. It says, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. How angry? Jonah got so angry that he says, Lord, take away my life. For it's better for me to die than to live. You ever been that angry? I mean, so angry that you wanted to die? I'm saying that's some serious anger. Okay, he is one hacked off, ticked off dude. And it seems strange, doesn't it? I mean, this is weird. I mean, what's, what's, what's his deal? Okay, this would be like, try to imagine this. Imagine uh, Brandon Stevenson, one of our pastors here. Imagine him giving a weekend message, and it's really great. And he opens it up at the end of the message for people to respond and to get uh, baptized. And let's say that 80 people, okay, come forward and, and decide, make the decision to get uh, baptized. But instead of celebrating those decisions, Brandon's over here on the front row, pouting, red-faced, angry. This is terrible. I can't believe all these people want to get baptized. I can't believe God forgives them. I mean, that would be crazy, wouldn't it? I mean, that just sounds really weird. But on a larger scale, that's what Jonah does. He's angry because the Ninevites turn to God. Let me give you a little more backstory about, about the Ninevites and, and, and Jonah. The Ninevites were considered Gentiles, and Jonah was an Israelite. And the Israelites looked down on the Gentiles. They called them dogs. The Israelites felt morally superior to the Gentiles. The Israelites kept their distance 
from the, from the Gentiles. And so there's some prejudice, some racist type stuff going on here. And beyond that, the Ninevites were not just Gentiles. They were also known for their brutality and their cruelty and their, and their, and their conquest. They were known to torture and enslave those they conquered. So the Ninevite, Ninevite Empire posed a threat to the nation of, of Israel. And who knows, maybe Jonah had a family member or a friend who had a bad experience with, a, with a, the Ninevites, or maybe he knew somebody else who was tortured and enslaved and maybe, maybe killed. You know, we don't know. I mean, you can call it racism, elitism, moral superiority, bad blood, prejudice, whatever you call it. Not only did Jonah not want God to bless them, he wanted God to destroy the Ninevites. And so Jonah goes outside the city, he goes up this hill, and he looks over at the city of Nineveh to see if God's going to destroy them like he hoped God would. And so the Middle Eastern sun beats down on Jonah's head. The heat is scorching hot, you know, kind of like the weather early last week. And then God does something very interesting. It says that God made this plant to grow and produce shade, create shade for Jonah. And Jonah, look at this, he's very happy about it because it's cool, it's shady, it's comfortable, it's nice. But God's not done. It's time for us to meet the other animal in Jonah's life. The next morning, as, as, just as the sun starts to heat up and beat down, it says this tiny little worm starts to eat the plant until the plant completely dies. And so Jonah is sweating under the hot sun. He's got no sunscreen, no Gatorade, no anything. And you can probably guess how Jonah reacts again. He gets so angry, he wants to die. And so God asked Jonah, is it right for you to get so angry about this plant? And remember this, this series called Big Mouse. Jonah says to God, absolutely it's right for me to get angry. In fact, I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. And then God speaks up and he makes a powerful point to Jonah. In verse 10, God says, you've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. Look at this. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. In other words, they need help. They need guidance and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? God says, Jonah, you're so concerned about this plant. You're so concerned about your personal comfort. But there's 120,000 precious people in Nineveh who need my help and my blessing and my love. And so... Jonah wants God to destroy them, annihilate the Ninevites, because he thinks the only good Ninevite is a dead Ninevite. But God says, I want to bless them because I love them. And the grace that God extends toward Nineveh, it offends Jonah. Just like sometimes, you know, God's grace can offend us. Now, it doesn't offend us when, you know, we realize our need for it, okay? But sometimes it offends us when we think other people don't deserve it. And even though Jonah is a prophet of God, a leader sent by God, he wanted to see the Ninevites destroyed. Now, I know, you know, most of us wouldn't say there's a person in your life that you, you know, would actually want God uh, to destroy, right? Unless maybe you've got a vindictive ex-husband or ex-wife or, or, or something. But, but seriously, I want to ask you a question. Who are your Ninevites? I mean, there's all sorts of things that may not necessarily make us want to see someone destroyed by God, but what are those things within us that keep us from being sent by God to bless the world? You know, for some of us, it might be things like resentment, insecurity, fear. Um, you know, if we're honest, maybe, maybe racism, race, racist-type stuff does lurk inside of us. 
Maybe some of you have seen this movie. It's called Crash. It came out uh, several years ago. Actually, won the Academy Award for, for Best Picture. It's about racial and social tension in Los Angeles. There's a, a variety of characters in the movie who are victimized by racism and also responsible for their own racial remarks. Take a look. Did you see any white people in there waiting an hour and 32 minutes for a plate of spaghetti? Huh? And how many cups of coffee did we get? You don't drink coffee, and I didn't want any. Man, that woman in there poured cup after cup to every single white person around us. But did she even ask you if you wanted any? We didn't get any coffee that you didn't want and I didn't order. And that's evidence of racial discrimination? Did you notice that our waitress was black? And black women don't think in stereotypes? That waitress sized us up in two seconds. We're black and black people don't tip. So she wasn't going to waste her time? Now, somebody like that, nothing you could do to change their mind. You know, so who would it be? Who... Uh, who would you be uncomfortable around if they came walking down your street or they came walking up to your door? Who are your, your Ninevites? You know, people who are not like us, racially, ethnically, religiously. Not so much that, you know, we want them to go to hell uh, necessarily, but enough so that we keep our distance. And that distance keeps us from doing what God wants us to do and being who God wants us to be. And so I want to ask you this question, even as I ask myself, who are your Ninevites? In other words, who might God send you to go and bless and, and you wouldn't want to? Who are your Ninevites? Elderly people? Teenagers? Conservative Republicans? Liberal Democrats? Muslims? Homosexuals? Addicts? The poor? The rich? People who've wronged you? Who... What kinds of people do you just not feel comfortable around? Pastors? You know, who knocks on your door and maybe you think about you know, acting like you're not home? Who calls on your phone and you don't want to answer? I mean, just like God used a worm to reveal the barriers to blessing within Jonah. And for Jonah, it was elitism. It was moral superiority toward people that God loved and wanted to see saved and blessed. I'm sure God has some things that he wants to reveal to you and to me, because as one of my favorite quotes uh, puts it, God loves you just as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. God loves you the way you are. You don't have to earn his love, but he loves you far too much to leave you exactly that way. He wants to make you more like him. So what about you? What would God say to you to reveal the barriers to blessing others that exist in you? Can, can I be your worm today? Who are your Ninevites, because all of us have somebody that for whatever reason, you know, if, if part of our mission is to bless them, we'd rather just keep our distance. You know, I'll tell you about me. As I started working on this talk, I prayed and, and uh, asked God, you know, who are my uh, Ninevites? Because I thought to myself, you know, I, I know the answer to that question. I don't have any Ninevites. I consider myself the kind of person that I care about people, and I want everybody to experience God's grace and follow Jesus, and so I don't have any Ninevites, but as I prayed, I sensed God saying, Ben, not so fast. You do have some Ninevites. You do keep some distance from people I want to bless. And I remembered this chart that I filled out. It was oh, about a year ago, and I think God brought this up to my memory. Here it is. It's, uh, it's called a neighborhood chart. In fact, I went ahead and had it printed on the back of your outline and I want to ask, would you go ahead, it's in your program, would you go ahead and take that out on the back side of your outline, this, this neighborhood chart. It looks kind of like a tic-tac-toe chart. Now, there's nine boxes here, and these nine boxes, each box represents a house or an apartment. 
And this one in the middle, that's you right there, okay? That's your house or your apartment. That's where you live. And so I want you to think about the eight houses or apartments nearest to your home uh, where you, where you uh, uh, live. And I want you to fill, fill this out. I want you to fill out a box for each one of your uh, neighbors. So let's go through one box together, it's, and, and we'll walk through it, A, B, C. A, I want you to write down the names of the neighbors. So write down Kevin and Donna or whatever their names might be. Write down the names of the eight closest neighbors in A in each box. And then B, write down some basic information about them. Like, do they have kids? Okay, write that down. Or anything else that you know about them from your conversations with them. And then C, I want you to write down some personal information, some, some in-depth information about the life circumstances of uh, your neighbors uh, right, right, right now. So go ahead and do that for each of the eight neighbors that live closest, okay, to uh, your house or your apartment. And while you're filling that out, okay, I'll just tell you, I did this exercise a little over a year ago. And it stuck with me because I didn't do very well. My chart was pretty much empty. I hope you do better than... I did. I, I think of it as my chart of shame. Yeah. And it really opened, uh, you know, my eyes. Uh, because Jesus wants me to not just know my neighbors, right? He wants me to love my neighbors, okay? N knowing their names is a good start. But I've got a long ways to go. And you know what? I'm probably not the only one here. State Farm Insurance did a survey. And they found that less than 25% of people know the names of their uh, neighbors. And so uh, some of us have a, have, have some, uh, have a ways uh, to go. So what about you? Who are your Ninevites? Now, for me, I thought of my neighbors, but maybe for you, maybe it's somebody else. I believe all of us have people that God wants to bless through us, but we keep our distance, and it interferes with God's mission. And here's why we have Ninevites. Here, here, here's why we do this. is because, you know, we have a pocket in our life. We've got an area in our life where grace has not taken hold. Like Jonah, there's a failure in our life uh, to, uh, to perceive God's grace. And when I don't fully grasp the depth of God's grace, then, then what I do is, uh, as I look at people, and some people look less important to me, less deserving uh, than others, less loved than others. But the Bible reminds us of this incredibly important truth in the book of Ephesians. Paul says, remember, at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. In other words, we all, in one way or another, we were far from God, but God didn't treat us the way that Jonah wanted God to treat the Ninevites, uh, even, though, even though God had many reasons to. In, in, through Christ, God brought us back to him. Through Jesus, God brought us close to him. Something interesting to me about the story of, of the worm, Jonah and, and the worm. After the worm, you know, eats the plant and the plant completely dies and Jonah gets mad and, and gets furious. That's when God says Nineveh has more than 100,000, 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left hand and many cattle as well. And then God lands on this question right here. Should I not be concerned about that great city? And that's how Jonah ends. We don't know how Jonah answers that question. We don't know how Jonah responds. I like to think that his heart changed 
And the most significant animal in, this, in the book of Jonah is not uh, the whale. Instead, it was the worm that changed everything. It was the worm that showed him he was more concerned with his own comfort and judging others than, than for people that God loved. I like to think that the worm changed his heart and made it more like uh, God's. But we don't know how Jonah, Jonah's story ends. And that's okay because I think the story of Jonah is in the Bible so that we can see ourselves in this story and so that we identify and remove any barriers in our hearts that interfere with God's mission to bless uh, the world. And so I've got a challenge for you today to bless other people, to help us bless other people. Some friends uh, took this word bless and they made an acrostic out of it that's really helped me. It's stuck in my memory and maybe this will be helpful to you as well. We'll start with the letter B which stands for begin with prayer. I know for me it's really important that I talk to God before I talk to people. You know, when I get up in the morning, I know that one of the first things I need to do is talk to God. Otherwise, I'm not going to be much of a blessing to anybody that day. Here's a great way to begin your, your, your day. Uh, begin, with, begin with prayer and say, God, God, who do you want me to bless today? God, would you give me a heart for my neighbors? God, would you give me a heart for my coworkers? God, would you give me a heart for, for anyone you want me to bless? And then the next letter is, is L, after we begin with prayer. L stands for, for, for listen. You know, it's interesting, if you read the book of Jonah, he goes to Nineveh, right? But he didn't really listen or even engage in any conversations. He just preaches at the people. He does more talking than listening. And sometimes I do that too. Sometimes we might think we're being friendly uh, to our neighbors, uh, you know, just by waving and saying, you know, hi, neighbor. You know, good to see you. But there's no real conversation. And just to walk across you know, the yard, just to walk up to the fence, just to walk across the street and to have a conversation where you listen to the other person conveys blessing. All right, next is my favorite part. The letter E stands for eat because there's just something about eating with each other that, that moves the relationship from acquaintance to friendship faster than just about anything else. You know, maybe you have coffee or, or lunch. It's interesting if you read about the life of Jesus. He's always eating with people, okay? And, and that's one of the reasons why we have lots of food around uh, River, River Glen. We can bless the world by eating with people. Isn't that great news? That's wonderful, isn't it? And then the first S stands for serve. As we, as we listen to people... And as we eat with them and as we pray uh, for, for, for them, we're going to discover ways that, that we can help people, ways that we can serve them. Here's a great question, powerful question, just three words that you can ask someone. Can I help? Can I help? That question has gotten me into running errands, helping somebody move, one time helping bail out a basement. When you volunteer and you make yourself available to serve someone, it conveys blessing and love. And then finally, the second S is for story. If you, if you pray for somebody and you, you, know, you listen and, and, and talk with them and eat with them and, and you help them, there's going to come a time where they are going to ask you, why are you so different? You know, what, 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 uh, why are you the way that you are? You know, what kind of church do you go to? And you're going to have the opportunity to explain to someone what God, the good news about what God has done in, in your life. You know, I thought about my parents. They got married and, and moved into a house 
in West Dallas many, many years ago. They were not followers of Jesus, but their next door neighbors, Howard and Shirley, prayed for them and listened to them and, and would eat with them and, and help them. And there came a time, you know, before long, when my parents asked, what makes you guys so different? You know, what kind of church do you guys go to? And that's how God, you know, reached and blessed my parents. And I know many of you have similar stories. That's how we bless other people today. And when you're blessed, you want to pass it on. I think one of the greatest motivators for blessing other people is when we realize, when we think about and realize how blessed, you know, we are. And I think that's one reason, uh, one, of the, one of the reasons why we share communion each weekend. Communion reminds us that when we were far from God, God didn't treat us the way that Jonah wanted, wanted to treat the Ninevites. God didn't, you know, treat us according to how we deserve. No, instead God blessed us by sending Jesus into this world. And he died on a cross to forgive all our sins so that we could have a relationship with him now and forever. And when we think about that and realize how blessed we are, it's going to change the way that we feel about other people. It's going to change the way that we treat other people. We're going to want God to bless others through us. So let me uh, pray for us, and then we'll share communion. And communion is open to anybody who receives the blessing of Jesus into their life. Let me pray for us. God, we're grateful for the story of, of Jonah. But we're grateful for the implications this story has in our own lives. God, I ask that uh, just as you did with Jonah, that you would uncover, you would reveal to us the barriers that exist inside of us that are barriers to your mission of blessing others. God, I ask that uh, even in this moment, this, this communion moment, and even in the week, that this, this week, that you would help us identify what those barriers are. But God, even more importantly, would you help us to take steps to overcome those barriers in such a way that our lives become a blessing to the lives of those you're sending us to. God, as we share communion, would you, would you fill us with gratitude for the way that you've blessed us through Jesus? so that we will go and share your blessing with the rest of the world. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.